Hey, welcome to the Life Church Green Bay podcast. It's our mission to lead the way in bringing the life-giving message of Jesus to the 920 and beyond. We are so glad that you're here. If this is your first time joining us, would you connect with us? We want to do life with you. And there are so many ways we can do that from wherever you are in the world. You can get connected with us and other Jesus people in one of our Facebook groups by joining us for an online service every Sunday or connecting with people through life groups and pocket churches. To learn how to get connected and find your pocket, please go to lifechurchgreenbay.com. Again, so glad you're here with us today. Here's this week's message. Friends, open your Bibles to John chapter 2. If you're not in a place where you have access to a traditional Bible, you can open up the version, or it's also called the Bible app and all the notes and scriptures. Those have already been uploaded. Of course, we'll also put the scriptures right there on your screen, wherever it is that you're watching us from. I love you, and I am so glad that you are a part of our family. You know, the events of this past year have in some ways stolen a sense of innocence from so many people, haven't they? They've caused a significant group of talking heads and news analysts and social commentators to suggest that we may never go back to what now seem like previously carefree days. Days without viruses or quarantines, masks or vaccines, fear or worry. But I don't know about that. I I don't think I agree with their predictions, with their presumptions. I think America can and will smile again. But it won't happen if we don't take the time to re-examine our lives and values. It won't happen if we don't make some positive changes. I mean, isn't that what the first few months of the virus did for us? We were forced to stay home and be together, so we ate at the dinner table and had meaningful conversations. We played board games, did puzzles, and watched movies together. But it didn't take long for lots of us to adjust to abandon those things and invent new ways to ignore each other, to find new ways to take each other for granted. And I think it was an opportunity lost. But you know, my pastor had two things he said frequently that have been ringing my ears the past few months that I think are valuable and I think can help us make some positive changes, both in our corporate culture and in our personal lives. Number one, you can't change yesterday. And number two, Yesterday can be a great teacher. You know, it's been said, those who don't learn from history, they're doomed to repeat it. So I want this series to serve as a guidepost to people who wonder where we go from here. And it all begins with our personal relationship with Jesus. You know, you and I can talk about everybody else's life, but we can only change ours. In fact, in all my years of being a pastor, I've never been able to make anyone do anything. I can only make suggestions. Life change, that's an inside job. At some point, you need to ask yourself if you'd be ready to go to heaven if you were to die today. Doing that will help you do two things. Focus on where you are right now and stop making excuses. So in this series, I want to talk about five key things we need to do to regain the peace and joy we once had. And they're really just simple guidelines that you can use to start living in a way that'll create a godly and peaceful life. Just some practical, hopefully helpful ways to help us smile again. I wanna kick off this series today with a message we're calling Discover Real Joy. Let's pray. God, we love you. Oh man, we love you. 
Hey, you're so wonderful. You're so magnificent. You're so benevolent, so generous, so kind, so loving. You're so <laughs> you. And so help us to become less like us and more like you. Help us to live our lives as a reflection of you. Help us to smile again. Help us to discover real joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Joy. Uh, I know Pastor Scott talked about that a few weeks ago in our last series, Time Tested Truths, but joy is one of those topics you just can't talk about enough. Partially because it's hard to master, but also because it's easy to have stolen. The enemy, he's the great hunter of our joy. It's one of the things he wants desperately to eradicate from our lives. Because if he can steal our joy, it creates a domino effect that puts us in danger of losing our peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It puts us in danger of losing our fruit. Jesus, he was filled with joy. And in, in spite of the many efforts launched against him by both humanity and the enemy, his joy could not be shaken. It could not be stolen. For whatever reason, a lot of people have this weird, wonky, warped perception of Jesus. Like they imagine him as some sort of a serious, somber-looking guy with an expressionless face. But Jesus was a real dude full of real life. In fact, he was the life of the party. I mean, he understood the gravity and importance of his life, upcoming death, and impending resurrection. But he was so filled with love and joy in spite of that, that people were drawn to him, including children. <laughs> and for some reason, even his disciples tried to keep kids away from him. But Jesus, he said, bro, what are you doing? Let the little children come to me. Like I picture Jesus like the cool uncle. Like we know that he didn't have kids of his own, but like I picture that Jesus was the, like that uncle who knows all the slang. He has all the technology. He knows the video games. He's got the cool car, the cool shoes, and all the kids, they want to be around him. Because like you can tell a lot about somebody by how kids and dogs react to them. Because kids and dogs, they have a sixth sense about people. You have to wonder about people kids won't go to or who otherwise friendly dogs growl or bark at. Kids loved Jesus, and they loved him because he was a people magnet, a real draw. He was the life of the party. Wherever he went, people followed just for the chance to talk to him or listen to his words, just to be in his presence. And the Bible tells us about this Jesus in lots of places, but perhaps the most well-known is in his miracle of turning water into wine. It's in the Gospel of John. It says, the next day, Jesus' mother was a guest at a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus and his disciples, they were also invited to the celebration, and the wine supply ran out during the festivities. So Jesus' mother, she spoke to him about the problem. She told him, they have no more wine, but Jesus asked, how does that concern you and me? My time has not yet come. But his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you. Six stone water pots were standing nearby. They were used for Jewish ceremonial purposes and they held 20 to 30 gallons each. And Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. When the jars had been filled to the brim, he said, dip some of it out and take it to the master of ceremonies. They followed his instructions. 
When the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though of course the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. He said, usually a host serves the best wine first, but then when everyone is full and doesn't care, he brings out the less expensive wines. But you've done the opposite. You've left the best until now. This miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was Jesus' first display of his glory. And his disciples, they believed in him. Now, in Jesus' day, weddings were a big deal. They were a week-long celebration that started with a parade. (laughs) A parade. Come on, man. Now, that's a party. Like, I picture, like, the Rose Bowl parade or the the Macy's Thanksgiving Day parade. I, I, I mean, I don't know if it's called the Macy's Thanksgiving Day parade anymore because I think I hear that retail's dead. Maybe it's going to be called the Amazon Prime Thanksgiving Day parade. I don't know. Whatever it is they call it, I love it. I watch it all the time. It's, you, like, you have the people, like, the jugglers, and you have the band. There's, like, people, and they're, like, doing cartwheels, and there's the guys, the Shriners, with the dope little hats and the little tiny, their little motorcycles, and, and there's people with the floats, and there's fire somewhere, and, and there's, like, big things floating, like, like the gigantic Snoopy that's, like, boom. You just be like bouncing off all the buildings. Like I just, I love Snoopy. I, I, I'm just saying, a wedding plus a parade, man, that equals a party. And during these wedding parties, the people spent the whole week celebrating by singing and dancing, laughing, cutting up, and telling stories. You ever been on vacation? Like where you just sit around a campfire or on a patio and you just chill, you just let your hair down, you cut loose, and you tell stories, and you laugh, and you you have a good time. It was like that. But you know, there's these stuffy people. Religion's always filled with stuffy people who have problems with good stuff. And so these like, there's been like a lot of stuffy religious people who have posed the question like, well, why was Jesus at this wedding? And (laughs) well, that's easy. He was at the wedding because he was invited. And he wasn't invited because he was a celebrity. This is the pre-miracle Jesus. He hadn't done a single public miracle yet. He was still in the cut. He, he was invited to the wedding because people liked him. They liked his personality and the warmth of his conversation, the sound of his voice and the sparkle in his eye and the love that radiated from his life. Like he was the kind of person you'd like to have come to your party. There, there are some people you don't want showing up at your party. You, you invite them, but, but you hope they don't come. That especially happens at weddings. Weddings can be like an NFL draft, can't they? Where both parties get in the war room and lay out their list and pictures are moved and put in and taken away. And there's a list made up of who he wants to invite and who she wants to invite. And then there's some serious negotiations that take place and and like the guy says, well, your Aunt Bertha can come, but if your Aunt Bertha comes, then my Uncle Marty needs to come too. And the girl's like, oh gosh, not Uncle Marty. Like he's gonna get drunk and try to hook up with all my bridesmaids. And, And without fail, there's always somebody you hoped wouldn't come who does. And these people, they always seem to find the wrong thing to talk about, politics or the economy, religion, or race relations, but Jesus, he wasn't that guy. When did we start thinking he is? When did we start thinking Christians had to look sad and serious to be considered holy? 
Like when did holiness become a drag? It's not that complicated. If you wanna look holy, wear a smile. Live with real joy. That's the role of a Christian, especially at important events in people's lives, like weddings. Weddings are so interesting. I love performing weddings, and I really love performing the rehearsal because I get to say things to the two mamas that the bride and groom wish they could say, but they can't. <laughs> in fact, I start all my rehearsals out by laying down the first ground rule, no drama. I tell the mamas, we ain't gonna have no momzillas this weekend. This wedding, it only has one bride and you aren't it. You had your day, now she gets to have hers. Man, everything's usually fine after that. Y'all, I could tell you stories about weddings that would make you laugh. I mean, I've done hundreds and hundreds of weddings, but like I officiated at a wedding once where the best man fainted and had to be carried to and laid on the front row. That joker was out cold. I've officiated at a wedding where the groom fainted. That was awesome. I had to fill time and try to figure out how to have people not freak out until homeboy came to. It was like a commercial break. Uh, I've done a wedding where the best man and the maid of honor were dogs. Dogs, like bow wow dogs with little collars and bow ties. And the one dog came down the aisle carrying a bag with the rings in it. It was, it was so awesome. The best though, the best was a wedding where both parties wore all leather and a bride came down the aisle on the back of her father's Harley and he was an outlaw biker. <laughs> now that's a shotgun wedding. <laughs> but weddings can be so much fun. That's why Jesus was there. He was there because he brought joy wherever he went. He laughed and cut up all the time. He was the best storyteller, had the best jokes. You know, in the midst of all the struggle of the past year, some of us have forgotten that being a Jesus guy or a Jesus girl is fun. Jesus made people laugh all the time. Because you know, it's hard to laugh and be mad at the same time. You ever been in the middle of an argument and suddenly one of you says something that makes the other one of you laugh and then the fight is usually over? at that point because it's almost impossible to laugh and say really mean things at the same time. I think it's God's way of shutting mean people down at least for a minute because laughter fixes a lot. It's good medicine and a positive way to live. You can't be negative while you're laughing. So here's Jesus at a wedding a week-long celebration surrounded by his friends. I mean, you know Jesus had friends, right? He had half-brothers and half-sisters, people he went to school with, uh, people he knew since he was a kid, and of course, people who he picked up along the way, like his disciples. You do know that Jesus and his disciples didn't just sit around talking about the Bible all day, every day, right? They laughed and goofed off, poked fun and cracked on each other. They were his disciples, but they were also his friends. So this wasn't the first wedding Jesus had been to. It was just the first one where they'd run out of wine. And when they ran out of wine, that was a problem. These people would have been a laughing stock for running out of wine. They'd have never lived it down. People would have talked about them being too cheap to provide enough wine or too poor to be able to afford enough wine. I mean, if the bride and groom would have heard that they'd run out of wine, they would have been 
devastated, mortified, beside themselves. The whole wedding would have been ruined. So this couple, they were about to have a problem. And for some reason, the servers, they came to Mary first. So Mary now knows about their problem, but she also knows about Jesus' potential. She also knows about his power. And I don't know if she'd seen it before, like he was Shazam trying to figure out his powers as a kid, or if she just sensed it. But she says something to the servers that is solid gold. She says, do whatever he tells you. Mm. Do whatever he tells you. I mean, she didn't know what he was gonna do, but she knew to do whatever he tells you to do. And those servers, they had a choice. You know, the servers don't get a lot of credit, but they played a huge role in this miracle. When they submitted their wills and abilities to Jesus, the miracle took place and Jesus' ministry began. They could have easily said, what? Fill the pots with water? Come on, man, what's that gonna do? But they knew. Do whatever he tells you. So they found the pots. And as long as they found empty vessels, the miracle continued. You know, I wonder how many miracles have been missed because people didn't submit their will and ability to Jesus and stopped finding or being empty vessels. Mary said, do whatever he tells you to do. And they did. Can you imagine living your life with the faith to say, I'll do whatever Jesus tells me to do? That's how you discover real joy. Are you doing that? Are you submitting your will and abilities to Jesus? Are you continually presenting yourself as an empty vessel? If you're not, you can start today. Will you do that? I hope so, because he wants to fill you and fill you, and fill you, and fill you with real joy. Would you close your eyes? You know, salvation has been complicated over time, but really what salvation is, is emptying out all the stuff that's in your pot, emptying out all the stuff that's in your vessel so that you can present yourself empty to him so he can fill you with his love, fill you with his life, fill you with his agenda. I wonder if you've done that. I wonder if you're watching this and you'd say, Sean, I've, I've never emptied out the stuff in my pot. I've never emptied out the stuff in my vessel. I've never allowed Jesus to come in and fill me with him. I have good news. We're gonna give you the opportunity to do that today. And it, it's not complicated. It's really, it's really simple. It's not easy, but it's simple. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth that you're a sinner and believe that Jesus can save you, you will be saved. And so today we're gonna give you an opportunity to confess with your mouth. And here's how we're gonna do that. I'm gonna say a few lines in a prayer and then I'm gonna pause. And when I pause, you can repeat those words that I just said. And if you mean those in your heart, you will be saved. So if you need Jesus to fill you with him, will you repeat this after me? Say, Jesus, I'm a sinner, but I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Will you empty me of me? And will you fill me with you? Will you be my Lord 
Will you be my savior? In Jesus' name, amen. Friend, if you prayed that prayer, congratulations. You just made the greatest decision that you'll ever make in your life and we want the opportunity to connect with you. So if you'd reach out to us, if you'd just message us and let us know that you've just received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, we would love the opportunity to follow up with you, to connect with you and to help you walk here. Jesus journey, but we're not done. Maybe you're a Jesus guy or you're a Jesus girl and you could say, Sean, I, like I'm going to heaven. I know I'm that guy that I know if I were to die today, I'd go to heaven, but I feel like I'm living in hell. You're not filled with joy. You haven't discovered the real joy. If that's you, can I pray for you? And so God, for my friends, I pray, first of all, peace peace that surpasses all understanding. God, I pray that you would empty them of their animosity, you'd empty them of their angst, you would empty them of their anxiety, their depression, God, whatever it is that's keeping them from living inside of your joy. I pray that you would empty that out, fill them with your joy, in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for joining us this week. Did you know we have discussion questions for each message? You can download them and talk it over with your friends and family. Go to lifechurchgreenbay.com to download today.